welcome to the Meiji 150 Student Podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm here interviewing Trevor. How are you doing, Trevor? Good. How are you, Daniel? I'm doing excellent. Thank you very much. So, let's begin, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Alright, so, can you tell me what your topic is, and why you chose it? Yeah, so the topic I chose was Japanese baseball, and the differences compared to North America in terms of the fan experience, but also the in-game player experience as well. Uh, And I chose it because... I honestly had no idea what to do for for a topic, um, but then after talking with uh, Professor Grunau, he mentioned something about Japanese baseball, and I realized that I could do that for a project, and since I'm a huge baseball fan, go Red Sox. So researching and, and putting this together, this project was actually really enjoyable because I'm passionate about the subject, which, you know, other other projects you might just kind of be half into it. You're not, you're not really that interested in the subject, but this one I was. I love baseball, so it, it was pretty neat to do a project on this. That's good to hear. Yeah, yeah. It's great that you were really into it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, Japanese baseball is a pretty big staple of the, of the culture there. So Definitely is. Yeah. All right, so expanding on that, what was the role of famous baseballers in making the sport popular in Japan? Right, so there are all-star players like Babe Ruth, Joe DiMaggio, Lefty O'Doul, etc. that toured Japan in the 30s and 50s, so before and after the war, and they were honestly bigger stars than they were in America. So when they got there, they showed off their talents, which really impressed people, and that honestly just got Japanese people even more into baseball. They, they loved seeing these American players, and it really helped grow the game, and it it also helped ease some of the tensions after the war in the 1950s because Babe Ruth came to Japan in the 30s and he really liked the atmosphere there. But then, obviously, once the war started, he had some pretty negative things to say about the Japanese people. But after that, when a player like Lefty O'Doul, who is known as the father of Japanese baseball, when he went there, he was beloved. And, you know, it really, it really helped um, ease some tensions. And also, with the... When baseball was brought over to Japan in somewhere between 1867 and 1873 by Horace Wilson, that also eased some tensions that were there in the beginning, in the mid-1800s when America started their relationship with Japan. So baseball really has been a good kind of common ground between America and Japan. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that because... um... It's very interesting to see how a sport has been able to link these two countries together in such a way. Definitely. But yeah, it's interesting that you say that and how baseball became like a link between these two countries. Expanding on that idea, um, how exactly did baseball culture deviate between Japan and America after its introduction? Right, so when I think of that, the main thing I can think of is bunting. So America... They emphasize power. The MLB actually just broke the record last season for the most home runs league-wide in an entire season, whereas in Japan, they love to bunt even if it's the wrong play percentage-wise. So what that means is if a player gets a single and gets on the first base, a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of the time, the next batter up, whether it doesn't even matter if he's a power hitter or not, a lot of the times the manager will want him to bunt, so he'll sacrifice himself and most likely get out at first base, but his teammate gets to go to second base and be in scoring position. So these these managers go with their kamochi or their, their gut feeling. So a lot of these times in America, they're starting to realize that bunting usually isn't the right play as mathematically your odds of scoring go down usually. But these managers, you know, if they, if they think it's the right play and, and they love bunting, then they'll go for it. And there's also other other differences in, in style of play and how they approach the game of baseball. For example, 
a lot of these players, they train pretty much year-round. They get a few weeks off, and the champions of the league, of the NPB, they'll get an extra week off. It's, it's not much time off at all. And pitchers also in Japan tend to throw two to three times more pitches in their careers compared to American pitchers, which is usually to their detriment as they'll, you know, they, they could really deteriorate in their early 30s as compared to maybe their mid or late 30s. So th- those are some of the main differences that you see in terms of how the game is played compared to America. Yeah, so it's interesting to see how, like, this idea of, like, um, not so much the individual in America with the power hitters and the home runs, but more about the team player. Definitely. Bunting and things like that to make sure the team is um, advancing and uh, putting the team on their back, to sort of say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So now let's jump to the crowds. How would you describe the in-game experience at a typical game? Right, so the in-game experience, not every single game is going to be nuts, but a lot of them are. And so in, in the outfield, we have what are called uh, Owendon, our cheering section. Is that, that's what it means. So a lot of these Owendon, they'll have drums, sticks, banners, whistles, flags, everything. And they go crazy during the game. So they'll have specific chants for specific players and specific chants for specific plays. Like if there's a, a, a double or whatever, they'll have a specific chant for that. What I find interesting, though, is that they're silent when the opponent bats. And that's out of respect. And also adding to the atmosphere, there's whistles and alert you of foul balls so that kind of just you know adds to that loud atmosphere and you know I, I i find it it's much different than north american baseball just because in in north america they'll be it'll, it'll be loud at points it can certainly be loud but it'll more be you know when there's a home run or something not in between pitches so i kind of compare it as similar to european soccer um but it's a bit different though because they have tools and drums and they don't just use their voices and the last, the last thing I want to mention about the, the fans is that there's typically not much hatred towards the opponents, and there's no profanity, really. It's it's pretty respectful atmosphere, and it's it's more they're more focused on the love of their team rather than hating the opponents. Yeah, it's interesting to say that like um, the Japanese aren't really disrespectful to their opponents because that's a really big part of sport culture in like, uh, Europe and like oh, America yeah. and all that. It's like kind of like bad-mouth the team, so, you know you get crowds like riffing on each other the entire time. So that's sure. a really important part of like American. But so it's interesting to see in Japanese that it's more respectful in that regard. And so you mentioned that um, they usually uh, use their like <clears throat> different types of equipment and all that. And it reminds me a lot of uh, Brazilian football, for example, that um, they use like more of a Venezuelas and drums yeah. and like make greater range of, use a greater range of instruments to celebrate their team. So, why is so taking this into account? Why is crowd involvement greater in Japanese baseball than American? I don't think there's a solid, you know, one one size fits all answer for this. But I think it can relate back to the topic that you did that I interviewed interviewed you for, which was Kuroshi, um, or, or overworking until death. And I think a lot of these people they live a stressful life and they feel like they can just go to these baseball games and enjoy themselves to the fullest. You know, they can not have a worry at all and they can just have fun at the game. And yeah, just just not worry about anything. And I also think it's it's just a very passionate country that likes to do things a bit differently sometimes. And they also are perfectionists sometimes. So if they're gonna be a fan, they're gonna go all out. They're not just gonna you know cheer for a home run. They're gonna be cheering the entire game. Yeah, that's good to hear. That's always like nice to know when like the crowd is alive and not just you know alive at only the 
most important parts of the game. Yeah, it's okay. it's definitely different. Yeah, it keeps the sport interesting because, like, for example, here in the U.S., it's like there's this idea of baseball culture. You go only to um, you know, to enjoy the atmosphere, have a hot dog or something like that, and just relax with your friends. But here, but in Japan, it's more of a the entire game. You're just on your feet, just cheering on your team. So, yeah, that's interesting to see. But um, you were mentioning uh, Karoshi and overworking, so I kind of want to relate to connect back to the other question I have is what does greater corporate involvement in the game entail? Right, so there are teams owned by major companies rather than one individual owner, and that's a lot different than North America where they'll just have one you know, billion dollar owner. And so that means that these teams are, they're named after the company rather than the city, so, or it'll be a combination of both, such as like the Tokyo Yakult Swallows, so Yakult is the company. Yeah, so they got some weird names there. Um, and, and because of this, not all teams um, are worried about winning per se. They simply want to make a profit because they'll have other business interests as well. It's not, they're not just owning a baseball team. And, you know, there, there are some owners out there, well, um, obviously there are owners that have other business interests in sports like baseball in North America and hockey and stuff like that. But these companies are huge companies that baseball is only a, a tiny portion of, of their overall interest. And, and it also means that these players can be promised small jobs after their careers uh, with the company. So these players tend to stay with one team as long as possible, which is what you had mentioned in your your interview about Kuroshi. Uh, so they have this strong sense of loyalty because they're promised these jobs after their career, even if it's something really menial. Um, but they like to stay with that one team just so they know that, you know, after 35 or after 40, they're, they're taken care of. Yeah, and that's like, that's a, also a big issue in the United States is like once, a, uh, you know, a professional player's career is over, is what do they do? A lot of times they yep. find themselves not able to get another job unless they coach or something like that so definitely it's nice in japan that they have like that sort of um, safety blanket so you talked about karoshi and all that and also like um mentioning that of this idea of loyalty and not only to their company that you're like you know you're working for but also to your teammates and so i wanted to ask you what other traditional japanese values can be found in the sport yeah so the main one that i could come up with is bushido and we see that with things like self-sacrifice um because they're you know they're they're bunting to get their teammates over to second base or even to third base, and they're they're not they're they're, they're sacrificing getting an out rather than going for a home run or something. Um, there's discipline because you have to, you know, you can't swing at every single pitch you see. And there's loyalty, like I just mentioned, with loyalty to to the company and to and to the team. And there's real selflessness, and you're not you're not really supposed to ask for more money. You know, it's that's not really how they do that. And also selflessness with going back to back to bunting as well. And I'd also mention the, the perfectionism. So there's perfectionism with the fandom and also perfectionism with training. So, you know, they're, they're training almost year-round and because they want to perfect their craft. They, they want to be the best uh, that they can be. And that's a really strong Japanese value. And another really interesting one is respect for their opponents. So, like I'd mentioned earlier, with the they're respecting the... When the, when the batting team, or sorry, when the away team is batting, um, they're respecting them, they're, they're not doing their chance, and there's also a real strong sense of respect amongst the players as well during these games. Yeah, and after all of your research and everything you've done on these teams, like, what would you say is your, 
has become your favorite baseball team? Was it the Yakult Swallows? It's not the Yakult Swallows. Um, there, there's a few cool names. You know, you got the Yomiuri Giants, but I'd, I'd have to go with the, the Nippon Ham Fighters um, just because they're their name. And a, a lot of people in North America think their their team name is the Ham Fighters because, it, it you know, it looks like the ham-fighters, yeah. but it's actually Nippon-ham, which is the company, the Nippon-ham, and then their their nickname is the Fighters, so um, they're based out of Hokkaido, and I just think that's the, the funniest name. And also, um, Shohei Otani was on their team the last few years who was pretty much the the new, I guess, Babe Ruth of, of Japanese baseball, as he was one of the best pitchers and one of the best batters in Japanese baseball, and he just came over to... Major League Baseball, he signed a deal with the Los Angeles Angels back in December, so I'm super excited to see him. And just because of that connection, I'll, uh, I'll say the, the ha- not the ham fighters, the fighters are, uh, are my favorite Japanese team now. Well, I don't blame you. I think the ham fighters are definitely a more interesting <laughs> name, nickname than the fighters. Yeah, exactly. More memorable. <laughs> but yeah, so anything else that you found interesting doing your research? Anything you want to share before uh, we finish our conversation here yeah i i'd say it's that the fact that you're allowed to bring in food and drinks into the stadium even alcohol like you'd never see that anywhere in north america uh so i think that's a pretty neat experience to have that and i guess it makes sense that they have these designated beer girls then because you know they can appeal to the fans who who might not want to pay for the beer inside otherwise but that's pretty cool like Part of the experience is, you know, going to the local, I believe they have 7-Elevens there, so 7-Eleven or corner store or whatever, and, you know, getting, like, a beer for a couple dollars Canadian or however much that would be in yen, um, and bring that into the stadium rather than paying, you know, $10, $12 for a beer. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is definitely something I envy them. <laughs> that, would, that would be great to have here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming over, Trevor, and thank you for uh, your intriguing and interesting research into ba- Japanese baseball, which is uh, a lot more preferable to American, I think. seems a lot more fun. It, it definitely does seem more fun, it, especially just, I'd, I'd love to go to a game one day. My brother has, so I, I, I'm jealous of him of that. <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll get your chance one day. Oh, yeah. Well, this has been the Meiji 150 Student Podcast. Thank you for listening, and we wish you a very good day. The Meiji at 150 podcast is hosted by Tristan Gruno at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. This podcast would not be possible without the cooperation of the UBC Centre for Japanese Research and the technical assistance of the UBC Faculty of Arts, ISIT. Find out more about the Meiji at 150 project, including the Meiji at 150 lecture series, digital teaching resource, and workshop series by visiting our website. Meiji at 150.arts.ubc.ca. Thank you for listening.